Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. I would like to start this morning with um, a little social experiment. My maths isn't very good, so I'm going to look. I might need some help with this, but here we go. There's not very many of us here, so this might be a very quick social experiment. But please raise your hand if you have ever been born. Okay, so this is not a trick question. We should all have a hand raised. Keep your hands, keep your hands. We need your hands to remain in the air. Um, I, so how many of us are? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh, okay, so there's 25 of us in the room. So I need one in 20 of us to put our hands down. So I'm just going to ask Sophie and Elizabeth to put your hands down and a quarter of another person. Um, If you are over the age of... Oh, this is bad, isn't it? This is a bad one. If you're over the age of 47, please drop your hand. No, don't look. Don't look around now. Don't look around now. If you're over 47, drop your hand. If you've still got your hand raised... This is a bit tricky. Could you raise another hand if you've ever had surgery for anything? If you've ever had an operation for anything at all? Okay, so we've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine. So uh, nine, I want, I need 25% of nine, that's two-ish, two. So (laughs) this, my maths is terrible. Uh, Liam, drop your hand. Lambert, drop your, oh no, you haven't got, you've got, only got one hand up. Joe. You can keep your hands, sorry. This is very confusing. Drop both your hands. So Joe, both hands down, and Liam, both hands down. Great. Um, and the last one, this is the last one. If you've ever had to stay in hospital for any reason at all... <laughs> sorry? <laughs> apart from work, apart from work, if you've ever had to have a hospital stay, let's have two hands up for that. Um, and I need... Uh, one in ten of those people to put both hands down. So I think we've got ten people. So another one, Sebastian, put both your hands down. How many people have we got left with uh, with a hand or two hands up? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. There's twelve of us left in the room after that. Okay, you can put your hands down. Thank you. There's not a lot of us left after that, is there? And that is roughly, it's, it's a bit of a poor example, but roughly that's how many of us would still be around today if it wasn't for the existence of antibiotics. It's a bit simplified, but antibiotics had an impact on life expectancy in all of those areas. So um, before antibiotics were in widespread, commonplace use, Infant mortality in the UK was 1 in 20. 1 in 20. Average life expectancy in the developed industrial world was just 47 years. There was a mortality rate of 10% of people who stayed in hospital. And if you had surgery, it was 25%. Not to mention any other infections like bacterial meningitis, TB, which was rife, pneumonia, many other things, even a small injury, if you've got an infection, could lead to your death. So in terms of health and life expectancy, the introduction of antibiotics 
was an absolute game changer. The dictionary definition of a game changer is something or someone that affects the result of a game very much, something such as a product or an event that affects a situation or area of business very much. An event, idea or procedure that affects a significant shift in the current way of doing or thinking about something. A game changer is something that makes a massive difference. It's something that changes the course of things. And a person can be described as a game changer too. If their impact in the field of expertise is so significant that it changes or alters the course of events. So for example, a footballer whose presence in the game can be the difference between winning or losing. So for example, Lionel Messi, um, I know nothing about football. Lionel Messi is described as a game changer, apparently, in football. And one commentator said this about him. Messi has the speed and skill that led to Barcelona's team president, Joan Laporta, calling him the best talent in the history of the sport. Messi is a dynamic force who can score goals from anywhere and at any time. His wide range of moves leaves spectators with their jaws hanging open and often leaves his opponents as spectators. Pretty impressive. He's a game changer. So game changer can be an event, can be a person. And today we're looking at something which is both an event and a person, which was and still is one of the biggest game changers in the life of the church and in the lives of us as individual followers of Jesus. We're taking a break from our current series in Ephesians. Um, and you could say we're actually revisiting our previous series on life in the spirit. Because today, um, as Andy alluded to earlier on, in many traditional church settings, today is remembered as Pentecost Sunday. It's a day when people remember the events that happened specifically in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, when the disciples were filled with, baptised with, soaked with Holy Spirit. And this morning, we're going to look at those events and we're going to talk about why Holy Spirit is a game changer in the Christian life. So we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 2, um, but I want to set the scene a little bit before we get into the passage. And you might be able to help me with this a little bit of interaction would be good. Um, so before we look at that passage, before that passage in the Bible, we have four books that tell us all about the life of Jesus. They tell us what he did, what he spoke, what he taught. Um, he gathered a large, he gathered a, a small group of close friends and followers who we call the disciples and he also gathered a larger crowd around him who followed him. And all of those people had come to the point where they were thinking, could this man be the one who has been promised to us? Could this actually be the one who is the saviour, the Messiah that has been promised, who will, who will rescue us, who will restore our relationship with God? But can anyone tell me what happened to Jesus? It's not a trick question. What happened to Jesus? He got killed. He was crucified. Absolutely. He was crucified. 
He was killed on a cross as a common criminal. And three days later, after his death, what happened? He rose again from the dead. He rose again from the dead. And he was seen by many people. He spoke to them. He taught them. And then what happened? He was, Phil's doing this. He ascended. He was taken up into heaven. Hadn't gone quite as they expected. But before he was taken into heaven, Jesus told his disciples to do something that might seem a little bit odd. He told them to wait. Wait. And in Acts chapter 1, we read this. It says, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized in water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So can you imagine what the state of the disciples and the followers of Jesus is at this point in time? Jesus, he, Jesus has said a lot of things about what's going to happen, but they, let's be honest, they just hadn't really got it. They hadn't really understood what he was talking about. They hadn't understood when he talked about the fact that he was going to die and that he was going to rise again. They hadn't understood when he talked about the Holy Spirit coming. He told them it would be better for them if he went away because he would send another one as a helper for them. But in reality... Here they are, the disciples, they're together, they're in one room, they're knowing that the authorities and the general public all saw them as the ones who followed that criminal who was killed on the cross. The ones who followed that troublemaker. They don't know what there is in store for them. Maybe they'd be arrested. Maybe they'd backed the wrong horse, so to speak. Maybe this was all just a dream that actually wasn't going any further. So here they are waiting for who really knows what to happen. They're probably a little bit frightened. They're probably worried. And they're certainly not making a big noise about Jesus. They're just waiting. And they're waiting because that's what he's told them to do. And then. And then. We come to. I'm going to. I'm not going to put my glasses on and read it from my Bible. I'm just going to read it from here. And then the coming of the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2, starting from verse 1, it says this. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were, dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all of these speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own language? native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling 
in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Wow. That's pretty spectacular. I'm not used to having a whole band behind me. That's pretty spectacular, isn't it? And from that point on, it just goes on getting more and more amazing read acts. Peter gets up and he preaches what is probably the most amazing sermon in the history of the church. Peter. Peter, who just a few days earlier was so terrified of being associated with Jesus that he lied about knowing him not once but three times. Peter who was an uneducated fisherman. He was not a teacher. He was not a public speaker. And yet here he is explaining that Jesus, Jesus is the saviour. Jesus is the Messiah. Explaining from the Jewish scriptures that how Jesus had fulfilled the prophecies about who the Messiah would be. Explaining that these people here, his followers, They were now full of the Spirit of God, just as it had been promised. Explaining how all of them can be saved and become part of this family of God. And 3,000 people who were there listening on that day believed the truth of what he said and were added to the church. And it goes on, getting more and more amazing throughout the book of Acts. We see people believing that Jesus is the Son of God and the Messiah, the Saviour. We see them being added to the number of those following and and gathering together. We see little communities of believers popping up all over the place. And then even when the church is persecuted, when disciples and followers are arrested and questioned, when the church is scattered, we see it growing and growing more and more being added across a larger and larger geographical area. What had happened? What had happened to that group of people in that room that brought such a significant change, a change of direction to them as individual disciples, individual followers of Jesus, and to them as a community of believers together, the church? What had happened? Holy Spirit had come. Holy Spirit had come and filled them just like Jesus had said he would. This event was an absolute game changer. Holy Spirit, he is a game changer. The Holy Spirit in our lives today continues to be a game changer for us as followers of Jesus. So what does the Holy Spirit do that makes him this game changer in our lives. Well, I want to do a whistle-stop tour of the New Testament. And what I'm going to what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to look at verses from the New Testament that tell us what the Holy Spirit does. What he does in our lives and what he does in the church. And then I'm going to zoom in on a few headlines of that that demonstrate the game-changing nature of having a relationship with the Holy Spirit and what that means for us. So, here's my list. 
I'm not going to read out the references because that will take forever, but they are on the screen if you want, or they will be on the screen if you want them. This is not a comprehensive list. Please don't come to me and say, you missed out this verse because I probably have missed things out, but this should at least give you an idea of how important the work of the Holy Spirit is in our lives. Here we go. Holy Spirit brings freedom makes us overflow with hope, is an advocate advocate and helper and will be with us forever. He teaches us all things and reminds us what Jesus taught. He dwells in us. He pours God's love into our hearts. He seals us for the day of redemption. He gives us power and makes us witnesses. He enables us to speak God's word boldly. He helps us know the thoughts of God. He testifies about Jesus. He gives us words and speaks through us. He releases gifts of prophecy and tongues to believers. He renews us. He encourages. He helps us in our weakness and he intercedes for us. He produces fruit in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. He guides us into all truth. He declares what is to come, and he glorifies Jesus. He convicts us of sin and teaches us about righteousness and judgment. He teaches spiritual truth. He seals us and guarantees our inheritance. He gives prophecy, visions and dreams. He marks us as sons of God. He testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. He marks us as sons and cries, Abba, Father, Daddy. He gives us power, love and self-control. He transforms us into the likeness of Jesus. He raised Jesus from the dead and he gives us life. He enables us to overcome the desires of the flesh. He causes rivers of living water to flow from within us. He strengthens us by his power. He washes, sanctifies and justifies us by faith. He clothes us With power, he gives us life. He is our guarantee. He enables us to eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And he gives gifts to believers for the good of all and the equipping of the church. Words of wisdom, words of knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discernment, languages or tongues and interpretation of them. Helping others, encouragement, serving, giving, leading, showing mercy. And he gives to the church prophets teachers, pastors, apostles and evangelists. The Holy Spirit is very busy. That is what he does in our lives. It is those things that makes him a game changer and I need a glass of water. (coughs) Excuse me. If I were to go through all of those things one by one, we would be here a very long time. And we actually, we did look at a lot of those things in a bit more detail recently. So I would encourage you um, to get on the website, listen to some of the talks about life in the spirit again that we did, listen to the talks from other sites as well, um, and remind yourself of the detail of all of those things. But what I'm going to do is I'm just going to highlight four things that we can see in that list. And actually, I think that the four things I'm highlighting All of those things can be broken down into these four things. So first of all, it's a work of the Holy Spirit that we are saved. The Bible's very clear that it's the Holy Spirit who convicts us of sin. It's him who leads us into relationship with God. None of us could come to faith in Jesus without the Holy Spirit being involved in that. 
It's him who reveals Jesus. He reveals the truth of the power of the cross and Jesus' resurrection. It's him who renews us. It's him who makes us new creations. It's him who releases the faith to us to believe. He is the game changer that changes the course and the direction of our very lives. Number two, the Spirit seals and guarantees our relationship with Father God. So this truth is repeated throughout the New Testament. Lots of the verses that we looked at there um, talk about this. The Holy Spirit marks us out as God's children, seals us as that, and is our guarantee that we are who God says we are. Wendy Mann, uh, in her book, Naturally Supernatural, she puts it like this. It is the Holy Spirit who gives us revelation of who God is as our Father. He also reveals to us that we are God's beloved sons and daughters. When you know who God is as your Father, and you know who you are as his dearly loved children, it changes everything. And this is something that it automatically happens when we're saved. At the moment that we choose to say, Jesus is Lord of my life. The moment that we set our life's path on following him, we are made children of God and we become heirs with Jesus to all that God has promised. It is a profound spiritual mystery And I will not claim to fully understand it until the day I stand before him in heaven. But it is something that I can grow in understanding. It's something that I can experience the reality of more and more in my everyday life as I live filled with the spirit. So to help me explain this, I want to tell you a little bit about my own story. So I first made a choice to follow Jesus when I was just, I was eight years old. I was being raised in a family where my mum and dad had become Christians as adults um, not long before I was born. So I was growing up as they were growing in their faith. And the Holy Spirit was a very normal part of that in our family life and in our church life. He was talked about. He was clearly active in the lives of people around me. And, And I know that I had encounters with the Holy Spirit at a very, very young age. But it was during my teenage years that I had that moment of recognising that there is an experience of the Holy Spirit that is more. It's the thing that the Bible refers to as being baptised in the Holy Spirit. We saw it in that passage, you will be baptised with the Spirit. And a literal translation of that is like being marinated like meat, soaked in, (laughs) covered with, filled like a sponge. Tom explained this really well in a talk that he did about the Holy Spirit. He talked about uh, this experience of being baptised with the Holy Spirit. Um, So you can find that talk on the website. Have a listen to that. I'm not going to explain it any more than that. But at the age of 14 or 15, I asked to be prayed for to be filled in that way because I knew it was something I'd not experienced yet. And I was. It wasn't a, a a dramatic moment particularly. I didn't fall on the floor. I didn't speak in tongues straight away. 
but I had a sense of peace and I knew that something had changed. And you know what the biggest and the most important change was for me? You don't, I can tell you. Actually, some of you do because I've told this story in community group recently. But the biggest change for me was this. Since that day, I have never once, never once doubted that I'm a child of God. And never once doubted that he loves me. Before that, I was always thinking, what if I've not done it properly? What if actually I'm not really a Christian? What if I'm not really God's child? And every time there was an opportunity to respond to following Jesus, I'd do it again just in case. That was me in my teenage years until this moment. This moment when I received the Holy Spirit and that was it. For me, I just, I knew it was done. I knew it was done. Just like the Bible says, the Spirit testified with my spirit that I am a child of God. And I've never questioned it since. And increasingly learned to live in the confidence that being a child of God brings. Now everyone's experience is different, but that was what my experience was. The Spirit seals and guarantees our relationship with Father God. And that is a game changer. Changes everything. Changes everything. Number three. The Holy Spirit is God's presence with us and he helps us. This is amazing. I've written this is amazing. It's all amazing. The Holy Spirit is amazing. In case you hadn't gathered, I get very excited about him. You see, we're told in no uncertain terms that God dwells in us through the Holy Spirit, both individually as people and corporately as the church together. God lives with me. God lives with us. Emmanuel, God with us. That's Holy Spirit. It's a fact that we can know and we can be certain about because we can read it as truth in the Bible. But it is also something that we can experience and we can tangibly feel. Have you ever had one of those moments with God where you feel an overwhelming sense of peace? Perhaps you've had an experience where you've been so overwhelmed by the presence of God that you've fallen to the floor or you've cried or you've laughed or you've found yourself physically shaking. See, all of these things can be real and normal reactions to the presence of God by his Holy Spirit. And I, I think that we, we should expect to experience more of these things as we increasingly know what it is to be filled with the Spirit of God. You see, he is he's pretty huge. He's powerful. Raised Jesus from the dead. He's powerful. And I would be surprised if we encountered him and we didn't experience anything at all. It will be different for everyone. And actually, you know, we have to be careful not to judge others' experience of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some people are quiet and peaceful. They have no outward signs of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Other people we might see physically shake, get very excited. We might see other outward signs of the presence of God. Whatever it looks like for you personally is fine. 
but do expect to experience him. Do expect to know him somehow. The second part of this point is that it's the Holy Spirit who helps us. He helps us to live as those who follow Jesus. He helps us to break free from sin and to walk in freedom. He he releases us from things which have held us in bondage in our past and he releases us into all that God intends for us to be as our new creation beings. He helps us to become more like Jesus day by day. He helps us with big stuff like forgiving other people and breaking free from strongholds. The Holy Spirit does that. If you're struggling with something in your life right now, the Holy Spirit has the power to break that and set you free. And he helps us with the small stuff. It's not really small stuff, but the more everyday stuff, like loving one another and like being patient. The more of him we experience, the more we see the fruit of the spirit growing in our lives. That love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All of these things, they're natural overflows of life in the spirit. And we should expect to see more of them in our lives. So how amazing is that? We're not left to try to work out how to live as Christians and to do it under our own steam. We're given the Holy Spirit to dwell with us, to empower us, to release us and bring us freedom. If that is not a game changer, I don't know what is. Number four, the Holy Spirit releases gifts of power to the church. I'm not going to say a lot about this because, <laughs> because actually, the truth be told, if I start, it'd be very difficult for me to stop. I could go on for a long time. Um, but I listed them earlier and we did cover this recently. We covered it um, in our Sunday mornings, covered it in our community groups together as well, looking at the gifts that the Spirit releases to the church. But what I will say is this. Please, please do not go away from here this morning thinking that spiritual gifts are not for you. The gifts of the Spirit are not and were never intended to be just for a few leader-type people or people who are particularly spiritual or spend five hours praying in the morning or especially selected in some way. No, 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 wrong. The gifts of the Spirit are for every single one of us who follows Jesus, for every one of us. We can all hear God's voice. We can all uh, pray for the sick. We can all use the gifts that God has given us. Some of us might experience some of those gifts more easily or more often. Others of us might experience different gifts more easily or more often. But we are all, we are all, every one of us, part of the body of Christ, and we all have access to same, to the same Holy Spirit. Gifts of the Spirit are for all of us. They're given to strengthen and encourage the church and comfort the church. And actually, for those of you who are parents, if you're a parent and you have children, I want to encourage you that these gifts, they're for your children as well. They're also for your children. There is no age limit on spiritual gifts. I've seen really little children bring words of encouragement 
And I've seen people healed when little children have prayed for them. Talk to your children about this stuff. Raise their expectations to see God working in their lives through his Holy Spirit. And the final thing that I'm going to say about this is that there are some spiritual gifts which are actually gifts of people. What do I mean by that? Well, we're going to be looking at this in a bit more detail because in a few weeks we're going to come to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, So I'm just going to mention it briefly now. The Bible talks about apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers and evangelists. And the Bible talks about them as people gifts from the Holy Spirit to the church. People who function so much in those gift areas that it marks them out. These are not titles, labels, roles or positions. They're not things that people work up to being. They are offices given by God. These individuals have got a job to do and the Bible describes it like this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. They serve us as the church by equipping us to do God's work. And our responsibility as the body of Christ is to recognise those people gifts when we see them, to recognise when they're among us. We need to be thanking God that he gives those gifts to the church and we need to be looking out for them as they work amongst us. The gifts of the Holy Spirit given to us individually and given to the church change everything. It's these gifts that make it possible to achieve what Jesus sent his disciples out to do and what he sends us out to do. He said this, he said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy, cast out demons. He said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. It's the Holy Spirit who makes that possible. He is a game changer. So we've looked at what the Holy Spirit does. We've looked at why he's a game changer in our lives. So what are the implications for us today, right now? Well, there's there's lots of implications of that. It changes everything. But there's three things I'm going to very quickly pinpoint this morning. And these are the things that actually I will want us, want us to, I think we're going to respond to. So firstly, we need to receive the Holy Spirit. If you've never had that experience of being filled with the Holy Spirit, being baptised, marinated, soaked in him and in his presence, I want to invite you this morning to do that. When we see this happening in the Bible, people know that something's happened. They knew that something had changed. Each description in the Bible of the Holy Spirit coming and filling people talks about different things happening. But each time, the people involved, they knew that they had been filled with the Holy Spirit. So if you're not sure that you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, or if it's something that you know that you haven't experienced, I would love for you to respond to that. And I'm going to invite you in a moment to do that, to come and to ask him to fill you up. And the second thing is this, that we see in... When we get to Ephesians chapter 5, we're going to see that the Bible tells us that we are to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a once 
in a lifetime event that never happens again. It's something that we need to continually live in day by day. So I want to encourage all of us this morning to respond to God, to go on being filled. We have permission to ask for this and we've got permission to eagerly desire the gifts that the Spirit brings. You're allowed to be greedy about being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is allowed, encouraged. A few weeks ago, uh, Tom gave us a, a helpful visual image of what being filled with the Spirit is like. Um, it's not like a glass that gets full up and then there's no room for any more. He talked about, do you remember he talked about um, the kids who pull their coats up over their head? Ooh, and uh, it's filled with the wind and it blows. And um, that is, it's more like that, more like a sail, more like the coat up over your head that's being filled. And as I prepared for today, um, I felt that God, the Lord gave me a picture about raising our expectations of being filled. I think God wants to raise your expectation this morning, that you can be more and more filled with him. Uh, I saw in, in this picture, I saw someone with a little bolero jacket lifted up over their head like that. And the Holy Spirit filled it. Brilliant. But then I saw someone walking around in this massive, grey, oversized coat that looked absolutely ridiculous as they walked around like that. But when they picked up the corners and they went like this, it was filled. And I feel like God wants to encourage some of us this morning to put on that oversized jacket, to raise your expectation that he is going to fill whatever you put up there for him to fill. He's going to fill. And the very final thing that I want us to notice in this passage is when the Holy Spirit came upon the believers, when they were hidden, they didn't stay hidden and waiting in that room. What did they do? They immediately went out. They went out of the room. And actually, the effect of the Spirit was seen on the community outside of the room. 3,000 that day. And thousands more in the days following. The Holy Spirit is not just for in this room. It's not just for in the church. Now, in the community of believers is often, not always, but often, the place where we first experience being filled with the Spirit. It's often in a gathering like this where we... Um, continue being filled or in community groups where we have those moments of going on being filled with the spirit it's in these gathered times together where we begin to learn how to use the gifts that God has given us this is a safe place to step out and have a go in the gifts that God has given you your community group is a safe place to have a go at bringing a word or a picture you think God has given bringing a tongue or an interpretation praying for someone who is sick all of those gifts practicing serving practicing all of those things it's a safe place to do that but the Holy Spirit was never meant to be confined to the church we're to go out into the community filled with him take him with us and use the gifts that he gives us there as well so I believe that God wants to release boldness to us this morning um, just as he did to the disciples to see him working in our workplaces in our communities and in our families outside of this room and actually I believe that there are people here this morning who actually you've for a long time you've had this 
dream of God using you in your workplace, but it's kind of gone a little bit quiet. And God wants to wake that up this morning and say, do you know what? I'm going to use you in your workplace because you're going to go in there full of Holy Spirit power.